Romans chapter 8, we're going to get that thing finished up today. We've been working on it since the 1st of September. Uh, many years ago, one of the guys going to church here, uh, Reese, told me, he said, you know, Pastor David, some people, when they're preaching God's word, they take the meat off the bones. And I, and I love that. But he said, you suck the marrow out of the bones. And I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like that's what we've done, taking two months through this. But it's been worth it, every bit of it, just uh, so much life and and uh, things to take hold of in here. And in my Bible, the first two sections of Romans 8 are headlined, Life Through the Spirit and Future Glory. Life Through the Spirit starts in verse 1 with an appeal for us to live each day with condemnation-free, redeemed minds, controlled by and consistently influenced by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. In the fallen world we live in, there is no shortage of efforts to control us by external criticism and shame. There's a constant battle going on for the primary influence over the attention and affections of our hearts and minds. But as our hearts are filled and refilled with God's manifest presence and love, and as our minds are led, fascinated by, and enthralled with living in step with the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to live a distinctively different life that is aligned with God's word in God's ways. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That's the way God wants us to live every day. And actually, Paul presented that <coughs> as an ongoing obligation, an ongoing obligation that requires putting to death our tendencies to let sin and carnality dictate our actions. Breaking free from sin, breaking free from the flesh never happens accidentally. And it's easier said than done in the face of real life, real time struggles with our sin nature. So that's why it's essential for us to live connected to our true identity. We are God's children. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The thesis sentence of the future glory section verses 18 to 27 is our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. As we live through the paradox of two things we would not put together, sufferings and glory, and as we recognize the providence of God being demonstrated in our daily lives, we can persevere through all the groans before the glory and learn to see them as part of training for reigning, both in this life as well as in the life to come. Invariably, though, our weaknesses will come front and center. And when they do, many times we don't know how to pray as we ought. But if we've surrendered the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us, keeping us in a fixed position of present before God. It's not way off out there, God. It's God in us, God with us. And also the Holy Spirit is also functionally operative and interceding within us and on our behalf. The third section is called More than conquerors. And it starts with Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In Greek, this we know is a kind of absolute intuitive knowledge that is affirmed in our spirit by the Holy Spirit. In all things is as inclusive as that sounds. And it even includes things that were originally meant for evil against us. Nothing is too big 
And nothing is too much for God. But listen, just because in all things God works for the good, even in tragic situations, it's important not to assume or fall into believing that that means God caused or needed those good or bad situations in order to accomplish his purpose. God's grace, his empowering presence that enables us to be who we're created to be so that we can do what we're created to do. God's grace doesn't depend on specific circumstances to exist. Whatever is going on, good, bad, or indifferent, God's grace is available for us to make a draw upon it and to experience it in many ways. We get our word synergy from the Greek word Paul used here for God works. Synergy happens when you put two or more elements together to produce an effect or result that is brand new and greater than the sum of the individual elements. Oftentimes, things that make no sense at all as they happen or when we see them in isolation can be seen as having worked together for good just a little further down the road. One commentator wrote, there's a divine synergy even in the darkest moments, a synergy which produces something positive. Paul was not saying all the ups and downs, victories, tragedies, and heartaches of this life always produce a better set of circumstances. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. What Paul emphasized here was God's overarching, though not always obvious, commitment to make us more like his son. And whatever it takes to make us more like Jesus is good. Romans eight twenty nine, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those God foreknew, that's about all of us. That's about all of us. Foreknew, that word tells us that we were all fully, absolutely known before the beginning of the world as we know it. Before God created male and female humans in his image as the crowning jewel of creation, God already knew us. And he'd already chosen all of us to be in Christ, holy and blameless in his sight. All of us, as in every human ever conceived on the planet. Every one of us chosen, none overlooked, none forgotten. Every person specifically, fearfully, and wonderfully formed and fashioned by God himself. Not one cosmic accident. Not one mistake. Instead, all chosen, all selected, all preferred, all favored, all wanted, all desired before one of our lives ever came to be. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Sadly, some theologians have taught predestined means only some people are chosen, which means the rest are not. What a lie! And what a perverted misrepresentation of God's heart and God's character. That kind of theological distortion happens whenever people take part of a verse or highlight a word or refuse to consider the full counsel of God revealed to us in the scriptures. I mean, come on. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved some of the people in the world. And do you think Jesus 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant in human likeness, and being found in appearance of man, humbled himself, became obedient, even to death on a cross, only for some people? The Bible teaches that God wants everyone to come to repentance and be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we get to choose, and God honors our choice. For those who God foreknew, which is all of us, he also predestined. To what end and for what purpose? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. God's eternal purpose for humans was not an afterthought, and it wasn't some random whim. Instead, before the creation of the world, God chose to initiate a relationship with humans And in so doing, God predestined us. God predetermined to invite us into a relationship with him. Even before we say yes to being in a relationship with him, God's influence is at work in us and around us. The gift of a conscience that every human being is born with, that that knows right or wrong, that's God's work in our lives. There are so many circumstances and so many situations in all of our lives before we knew Christ, before we gave our life to him, where he protected us and he provided for us and he preserved us. We don't always give him the credit for it and he doesn't even require us to give him the credit, but the fact of the matter is there's not been one moment of any of our lives that God has not been involved right in the middle of our lives working with us. That's who he is. That's what he does. Even before we say yes to him, But then once we say yes to him, then we step into a different realm and the Holy Spirit goes to work within us, transforming and reshaping our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions to look more and more like Jesus every day. The Passion says, for he knew all about us before we were born and destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. The Amplified says, loved beforehand, He also destined from the beginning and foreordained us to be molded into the image of the Son and share inwardly his likeness. You know, still to this day, God changes us from the inside out. One of the mistakes we make sometimes is we try to put on the airs on the outside. We try to wear the masks and play the games on the outside. And again, I just just want to say a lot of times when we're wearing a mask and playing a game on the outside, pretty much the only person we're fooling is ourselves. Because the people that know us and the people that interact with us every day see the contradictions. And God sees those contradictions. But we don't have to wear those masks. We can take the mask off. We can be real. And we can allow God to change us from the inside out. And when he changes from the inside out, it'll show up in the outside. The things that we used to want to do, we don't want to do anymore. The things that were attractive aren't attractive to us anymore. Things that we didn't want to do before, we do want to do now. Places we didn't want to go, we do want to go now. Ways we didn't want to live, we do want to live so that his light and his goodness and his beauty can show and flow through our lives. This word conformed means a literal adjustment of parts. Conformed is an adjustment of our whole being, body, soul, mind, and spirit that brings us into perfect alignment. It's kind of like a supernatural chiropractic appointment going on in us to bring us into perfect alignment to God's original intention and design. God has predestined us to know him personally and experientially. God did not predestine us just to know about God. The demons know about God. God predestined us to personally 
and experientially know him. He predestined us to know and experience the power of Jesus' resurrection, as well as the partnership and fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. All of us have been predestined by God to become like Jesus. All of us predestined, but none of us forced into that experience. I love the way the shack describes this predestined invitation. We want you to share, and we want to share with you the love and the joy and the freedom and the light that we already know within ourselves. We created you, the human, to be in a face-to-face relationship with us. We created you to join our circle of love. The more clearly we see, understand, accept, and embrace that invitation, the more quickly and consistently we keep offering ourselves to God as living sacrifices, as a grateful response to God's mercy. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit empowers us to stop conforming to the patterns of the world. And as we make those healthier choices, we get transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we are able to more effectively discern God's will. And all of that together leads to us living more Christ-like lives that honor God and honor his ways. Predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And predestined for more than that too. Look at verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. In Greek, this called means to call out to, to call someone over to yourself. It can be to hail or to shout. You remember the... uh, the old, I want you, Uncle Sam poster. Picture Uncle Sam with his finger pointed at you. And no matter where you walk, that finger followed you wherever you walk, you know? Well, this called is like that, but better. And the reason it's better is because this isn't just a finger stuck on a page following you. This is actually a personalized by name calling of God out to each one of us. It's not just in random general, I want you like all y'all. It's like, no, I want you and you and you and you and you and you. It's like that, and we hear it in our hearts. It's not just something we see, we hear it in our hearts. Called, justified means rendered innocent. Comes from the word for being holy and the word for being equitable in character and action. And there's a lot connected there. Equitable in character and action and holiness. They're very, very related. How did God do that? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I love the way Titus wrote, uh, the way it shows up in Titus chapter three. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Glorified means rendered and esteemed as glorious with a very apparent glory that is evident and obvious to all. This kind of glorified is best expressed as received but then returned and reflected back. You know, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, His face was radiant because he had just spent an extended time in the Lord's presence. And listen, that still happens today. 
maybe not to the degree that was happening in Moses, but you meet somebody that's been hanging out with Jesus. I'm looking at a whole room full of us. When we walk into places, there's, there's something distinct. You, a lot of times you can recognize a person as a Christian before you ever hear them say or do anything because it's just this same glow. It comes from being in his presence. When we hang out in the presence of the Lord, it not only does something on the inside, but it does something on the outside, something sometimes that we're not even aware of. But this glow that was on Moses' face when he came down from that time with the Lord, it freaked the Israelites out. In fact, they didn't want to be near him because of that glow that was on him. And so Moses ended up putting a veil over his face. But listen to this from 2 Corinthians 3. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, and let it happen, Lord, in more and more increasing measure, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In all these things, notice the one doing the work. God foreknew us, God predestined us, God called us, God justified us, and God glorified us. And now he's waiting for our response. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Without doubt, God is more than graciously disposed toward all of us. And he is also for us in all that he does. And when we grasp that, when we really get that, we can break free from fear. If God is for us, reads like a question. But in Greek, this if is not a mere possibility. It's a fulfilled condition. If God is for us is really in view of the fact that God is for us. And because God is for us, nothing can successfully be against us. Yeah. <laughs> in view of the fact that God is for us, and because God is for us, nothing can successfully be against us. Now, that doesn't mean we won't regularly face a variety of different kinds of opposition. But when that happens, we can meet them with a different perspective. Listen to what David wrote after the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul in Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him and into his ears. And he reached down from on high and took hold of me. And he drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in my day of disaster. But the Lord 
was my support and my stay. And he brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. What an awesome God we serve. When we take hold of God is for us, so who can be against us? Not only can we have the faith to stand rather than be overwhelmed and overcome, but we can also have the faith to freely and graciously receive all things. The God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us delights in us and still has much more to give us. This Greek word forgive comes from the word for grace and it means to grant as a favor unconditionally with no strings attached. This word forgive means to give generously as an act of kindness, pardon, or even rescue. This word forgive means to provide undeserved, unearned help to a person in need. After I shared this last night and was driving home, I was kind of mulling this over in my brain and I, I thought about this way that God gives Favor, unconditionally, no strings attached. Kindness, pardon, rescue, generously, undeserved, unearned. And I thought, what a difference than to make a deal with the devil stories that you've heard about people. We serve a mighty God. Yeah, we do. We yeah, we do. And there's been people who have been deceived and tricked into like making a deal with the devil. And it's like, then they'll suddenly get all successful for just a little bit, but it doesn't last because there's always something to pay. That's the devil and God are radically different in the way they deal with people. But our God, when he graciously gives us thanks, no strings attached. Here's another way to interpret this verse. He who has already given us the best, the greatest, the dearest, the most precious thing he has. And who did so while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were helpless will also give us the little things we think we need. And so we can say like David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The reality is, until Jesus comes back and the Spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Until he comes back, we will not be exempt from accusations. There will be people, circumstances, and situations that will rise up and bring false charges against us. Psalm 27, David wrote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. When accusations come, Jesus said, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. We live in a broken world. Hurt people hurt people. The devil traffics in condemnation and sometimes he uses people to bring these attacks. But God justifies. And like on that day, Jesus was left standing with the woman who'd been charged 
and caught in the act of adultery. Paul's words here reflect Jesus' response. After all of that, women's accusers had backed away one by one, oldest to youngest, leaving just her and Jesus there. Woman, where, where are your accusers? Does no one accuse you? And we were seeing about the beautiful feet that came for her. I think she looked up from his feet and didn't see anybody else around. He said, well, no, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And in regards to it is God who justifies, here's another great quote from the shack that I love. God speaking, I'm, I'm not who you think I am. I don't need to punish people for sin. Sin is its own punishment devouring you from the inside. It's not my purpose to punish sin. It's my joy to cure it. That's the God we serve. Yeah, Jesus paid the price for our sin in full. And though he could condemn, instead, he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And this is the same word for interceding Paul used in verse 27 about the Holy Spirit describing a fixed position of power to be functionally operative and to produce results. The oldest book many people think in our Bible is Job. Job had this revelation in his day. And this is what he wrote. Even now, my witness is in heaven and my advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friends. That's Job 16. Look at verse 35, Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So looking into some of this, and I found this good little quote here. It said, what I just read to you is a godly principle of faith. That when we abide in Christ during the inevitable disasters that flood our lives, faith increases, trust is amplified, hope is expanded, and our love of Jesus reaches even greater heights as we grow in grace and in a knowledge of him. Oh, such life victory has nothing to do with our own great strength, intellectual ability, or healthy bank balance. For of ourselves... We'd be overwhelmed by all these things rather than becoming a conqueror through Christ. We must remember that we are overwhelming victors now. Not only will we become victorious in the future, but also today. For he has promised that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The vast majority of attacks that we will face all have the same goal, to separate us from the agape love of God. But in each attack, there's an opportunity to get more deeply rooted in God's love. After giving an exhaustive list of trials and tribulations, Paul's conclusion was, in all things, we are more than conquerors. And the words he used describing being more than conquerors mean more than victorious continually. Even as he reminded us 
that the life of a believer often involves battles and warfare, both inside ourselves and from without. The only way to live more than conqueror lives is through him who loved us. And that word for love there is that word agapao. It's the active choice of God's will to love us. Through him who loved us and who loves us still with an everlasting love. The very things that come against us to destroy us can become stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the agape love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of these things, none of these things that I just read on the list are able in and of themselves to separate us from the agape love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, but they may all give it a shot. They may all try to. And if ever we fall for their deception and turn to independence, these spiritual obstacles discolor our paradigm of life and God. But God. At the Last Supper, Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. That's not the last thing he said, though. Then he said, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. That passage has always struck me. So there, Peter and Jesus sitting at the table. Last supper, Jesus said, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But brother, I, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you've turned back, which means there's coming a moment where it looks like his faith failed. And we know Peter denied Christ three times. Strengthen your brothers. That same prayer, that same prayer is offered for each one of us every time we face trials and temptations. And that same opportunity exists for us on the other side of our successes and our failures. However we respond in the moment, we can grow in humility. And those times when we stay with God and we get it right, it's just like, it's not like, wow, look what I did. It's like, thank you, God. I would not have been able to do that without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And on the times we stumble and fall, it's like, oh God, forgive me for thinking I could do it without you. Forgive me for trying to do things for you instead of with you. Lord, I come back to you. I give myself to you. I humble myself before you have your way in my life. God himself resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that we get it right or we get it wrong, there's an opportunity to grow in humility. And whether we get it right or we get it wrong, we also can find a deeper connection to compassion. Because when we really work through things, Jesus was constantly moved by compassion for people. When we really work through things, that, that thing, <laughs> excuse me, that can separate us and cause us to think we're holier than thou or worse than thou. No, when we've actually been through it, when we've been there, it's like, no, I've been there. I've done that. And one of the things that you're going to find throughout your life is when you have these big challenges that you face and you press through them and find your way through them with God, then all of a sudden the stream of people start coming into your life who where you used to be. And then God gives you the opportunity to say, hey, I was like that before. And here's what God is doing and has done in my life. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. And that power of testimony accelerates that forward. So chances to grow in humility, chances to grow in compassion, and then we find ourselves better equipped 
to encourage and strengthen other people that God brings in our lives. Almost 30 years ago, Cindy and I had some friends in our home group who were dealing with delay after delay, hoping to adopt uh, some kids, uh, I think from Ukraine or somewhere over there. And we'd been praying with them, just roadblock road. One, one day as we were praying, the Lord downloaded something to me that quickly became a song. And the next time they came to home group, I, as our group gathered, we got them in, in the middle and, and, I, and I sang this over them. I keep the faith even when my hopes are dashed. I keep the faith when I am sifted as wheat. I keep the faith and I run the race because Jesus is praying for me. Yes, Jesus is praying for me. I believe in the face of unbelief. I trust in the face of doubt. I am confident that my God is able and he will work this out. I believe, though I don't see the promise. I trust, though I do not understand. I am confident that my God's purpose will be revealed as I stand. So I keep the faith even when my hopes are dashed. I keep the faith when I'm sifted as wheat. I keep the faith and I run the race because Jesus is praying for me. Yes, Jesus is praying for me. The journey of waiting for our full redemption happens inside our relationship with God as an incremental process grounded in the agape love of God. And agape love sounds like an attribute, but it's actually a description of God himself. 1 John 5, 16 says, God is agape love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. As we choose to live in God's love, we can experientially know and rely on God's love. No matter what comes our way, we can keep giving ourselves absolutely over to the freedoms found in God's love for us. And we can stay actively engaged as co-heirs with Jesus in the servant-hearted lifestyle Jesus modeled for us. Let me read the text that I've just worked through verse by verse. Let me read the whole thing to you from the Message Bible. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis within himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. No trouble, no hard times, no hatred, no hunger, no homelessness. No bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you 
We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. Amen. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. As we wait for Jesus' return, we obviously have our part to play and our work to do in partnership with God. But in the end, what will win the day is receiving Jesus' embrace. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the amazing, amazing love that you have for us, an everlasting love. We thank you that you chose to love us before we ever even showed up on the planet, before any of our greatest, greatest, great, 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 greats ever showed up on the planet. Amen. You chose to love us, and you've called us to yourself. Lord, we thank you for giving us ears to hear and a heart to respond to you. And we pray that we would live out our days in alignment with you, listening to you, led by and in step with the Holy Spirit, and that we would rejoice in choosing to be part of things with you that cause us to look like more and more Jesus every day. That we'd be his hands, that we'd be his feet, that the, the light of the Lord and his love would radiate from us, that we'd be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that he called us to be. That we'd seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and then trust you to add all the other things that we need. We thank you, God, that it's not in question if you're for us. You are for us. And because of that, who can really be against us? Lord, keep that in our minds. So many times we default to trying to protect ourselves or defend ourselves. You're our rock. You're our fortress. You're our deliverer. You are the safe place where we can hide. And when we rest in the shadow of your wings, we find your peace and your life and your joy and all that you want us to live in every day. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Help us to live for you in ways that bring you glory. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.